the number of children in pediatric hospitals is at record levels. Turning now to the COVID pandemic as kids return to the classroom. Pediatric COVID cases are surging, now accounting for 15% of all new infections. More now from And the smartest people in the country are afraid it may only get worse. Hospital rates among kids have tripled, but the debate over masks in schools is only intensifying. I get emails all the time that tell me, you're overblowing this, uh, you're overhyping it. Only one in uh, you know, 10,000 kids will die from COVID, which you know, statistically may be accurate, but when it's your kid, it's one out of one in your family. Hey there, Pulse Check listeners. This is Jeremy Siegel continuing our special series on the coronavirus outbreak. Today, I'm talking with Dan Goldberg from Politico's health team about kids and COVID, what we know and what we don't. Here's our conversation. This week, we saw the highest number of per day admissions for children with COVID-19 that we have seen at any point during the pandemic. So just to put that in perspective, almost 1,600 kids with COVID-19 were hospitalized last week. That is more than during the January peak, more than at any point during 2020, you know, before there were vaccines. That's how bad it is. Wow. You said hospitalizations, so that's like serious cases of covid um, obviously, there's a surge of, of Delta variant cases right now, which sort of leads to the question, does that mean that Delta is making kids sicker than the original form of the virus would have or did? We don't know. The, the scientific evidence for that is inconclusive at this point. We know Delta is more contagious. So the more uh, kids that become infected, you would are likely to see more serious uh, cases just because the, the, you're dealing with a higher number. Mm -hmm. um, we know that Delta, like the original variant, is most dangerous for children with comorbidities like obesity and diabetes. So again, if something is more infectious, it's just going to hit more of those kids. That's what we uh, know right now. We don't have a great understanding of if it's actually making kids, the average kid, more sick. I can tell you from talking with doctors in states across the country, anecdotally, they suspect that it is. They are seeing more mm. children with no underlying conditions come into the hospital needing oxygen. Maybe they don't need an ICU care. Maybe it's just a, you know, a, a regular room on a floor. But they, they're seeing things they didn't see at this point last year. But again, just to be clear, that that has not been studied and we don't, you know, that's anecdotal. I'm curious also proportionally when it comes to cases and hospitalizations, proportionally compared to adults, um, are we seeing kids make up a, a greater share now when it comes to the Delta variant than before? Yes, we are. But there's an important caveat with that. Uh, because adults, particularly those over 65 and certainly over 75, uh, have a much higher vaccination rate than children. Mm. And, and remember, the vaccine isn't uh, authorized for kids under 12 yet. There are just fewer adults, especially older adults, going into the hospital. So when you change that uh, denominator, mm -hmm. yes, the percentage of kids is going up, but it doesn't necessarily tell you that this is more dangerous for kids. I don't know if we have like the specifics of these numbers, but that, that makes me curious. Are we seeing more kids under the age of, of 12 
going to the hospital as compared to the age where you are eligible for a vaccine? No, that's a great question. And it's one I asked uh, repeatedly during the reporting of this story. And uh, again, this is anecdotal, but the mm. answer seems to be no. Mm. There does seem to be uh, adolescents are still uh, at a higher risk than, let's say, five-year-olds, uh, which was true last year as well. What is also true, though, is the adolescents in the hospital are by and large unvaccinated, hmm. just like with adults. Uh, the, the overwhelming majority of people in the hospital, whether they're 12 years old or 42 years old, are unvaccinated. I guess that answers part of this question. But, you know, beyond just a lack of vaccinations among some of these kids, do we know what is behind this surge we're seeing among children? Uh, yeah, we know a couple things. I mean, yes, the Delta variant is probably the biggest factor behind this, right? I mean, it is spreading everywhere. Mm. We're seeing a huge spike in adult cases as well. You can look to Florida, Texas, Louisiana, I mean, all throughout the South. They are seeing huge spikes in hospitalizations for adults, and, and that's going to obviously affect kids too. Um, beyond that, there is some seasonality we suspect with COVID-19, right? It, it's really uh, hot in certain parts of the country right now. And that sends people indoors. And when you're indoors, you're more likely to spread it. So hmm. that that also plays a role. We're also, you know, last summer, there were very few camps uh, for kids. And uh, adults, even in southern states, were much more likely to be masked. Uh, and obviously, there was no Delta variant. Mm -hmm. So we're, we're sort of running an experiment in real time is what happens with a more contagious uh, version of this virus fewer uh, mitigation measures like masks, and a month where kids are more apt to be playing outside or inside together. You mentioned the surges that we're seeing in, in the Southeast. Um, are, are we seeing that same trend play out with kids? Like, is, is it that in the South, in some of these states where we've seen higher Delta surges, is, that's where we're seeing this, this rise among children for the most part? Absolutely. I mean, and by leaps and bounds. If, if you take, obviously, Texas and Florida are two very large states writ large mm -hmm. uh, or in terms of their population, but they are responsible and I'm doing this off the top of my head, but for, for roughly half of all pediatric hospitalizations, oh, wow. and Florida in particular, is, is responsible for a, a disproportionate share uh, of pediatric hospitalizations. Those are also both states where we've seen a lot of back and forth, a lot of controversy involving things uh, like mask mandates. Um, mm -hmm. You know, Governor Ron DeSantis, uh, Governor Greg Abbott with these moves essentially trying to prevent school districts from having mask mandates in place. Uh, I know that school isn't back in session in a lot of places, but when you think about kids probably going back to classrooms and potentially some of the classrooms in these states not having mask mandates in effect, it, it, it makes you wonder, like, w what's this going to look like in a few weeks, in a couple months? Yeah, and that's uh, really what we tried to get at with this story is you have school starting where even if there are masks, you're just going to put a lot of kids together in a congregate setting. Um, certainly without masks, um, you are talking uh, about the risk of the virus spreading much more wildly. And in truth, typically in places where like Texas and Florida, the vaccination rates are lower than in places like, you know, New York or Massachusetts. So there's less adult protection, right? I mean, there's more chance for the teachers to get sick. Um, and, uh, you know, then on top of that, we are already seeing uh, a, a unseasonably high number of RSV cases, which is another respiratory virus that, that affects children. And that's flooding hospitals. And pretty soon it'll be flu season. Um, so all of this is compounding on itself. 
you know, and then you couple that with a with a nursing shortage and just the general burnout from from physicians writ large. And it could be a real problem come September and October across the country. We're already seeing hospitals, children's hospitals, as well as adult hospitals buckle under the strain. You know, I think I just heard in Arkansas, they have one children's hospital in the state and they have two ICU beds left. Uh, it, it's getting really dangerous. Uh, and that is something that a lot of physicians fear could happen uh, across the United States. And and remember one other thing too, it's not just COVID-19, obviously that is the headline news. Um, but there is, somebody referred to it as an immunity debt, right? We kept kids masked and safe for the last 15, 18 months. So many childhood diseases that kids just normally get and would be spread out over a year, they haven't gotten them. And if we put them back into school without masks, there is every likelihood that there'll be a rash of other just viruses and diseases that kids are catching up on. And the concern is that they flood the system all at once and overload the capacity for the healthcare system to deal with it. I want to ask a bit more about masks and schools, because some of the argument against it from like politicians and and from parents is, you know, how can how can we do this to our kids? How can we put them in in masks all day? Like, how can we force them to do that? I mean, I know for some people, these questions might be obvious, but like, are there any negative risks associated with having kids in masks? And like, conversely, what is the positive effect? Do we have data on how much this does help in a setting like schools? Um, there are no good studies that I am aware of, of negative effects from wearing masks for children. Um, they may be uncomfortable. Uh, that, that's, I suppose, subjective. Um, so everything is a risk-benefit analysis for kids. Uh, and the, what the American Academy of Pediatrics says, what uh, the CDC says, what every expert, including uh, public health directors in the most conservative states will tell you, is that a mask is going the best tool you have to protect your child if they are under 12 from getting the virus. Regardless of how they personally feel or whether they are uncomfortable, it is the best tool you have to keep them from getting the virus. Um, if they're over 12, obviously vaccination is the, is the number one tool, but then you know a, a mask may help them as well, especially in areas like Louisiana uh, or Florida where the virus is really out of control. Every public health official, even in conservative states, will tell you that layered mitigation strategies, meaning vaccination on top of masks, on top of socially distancing, on top of hand washing, is the only way to stay completely safe. And while some people will sort of roll their eyes and say, well, you could just keep your kid in a bubble and never let them out of their house. I believe uh, Governor McMaster in South Carolina said as much the mm-hmm. other day. You have to weigh the, the risk and benefit of, of wearing a mask um, and what exactly the harm of wearing a mask is compared to the risk of contracting COVID. There's also the vaccination element with teachers, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, what do we know about that at this point? Like, do we have any idea on vaccination rates among teachers where we're seeing opposition to that, where we're seeing pushes to require teachers to be vaccinated? Yes, we we know that um, in places like New York, California is just the latest to require teachers to either be vaccinated or submit to regular testing. I saw a story recently out of New York City where they're requiring it, that vaccination rates uh, jumped a significant amount in the days after that announcement was made. Hmm. So it does push people to get vaccinated. Um, and we do know that vaccination is the best way to prevent serious illness uh, from COVID-19. We don't have perfect data yet on uh, what it does to the spread, but just from what we know so far, it really does seem to reduce the infectiousness uh, of the virus and therefore decrease the spread. 
For parents who might be seeing this situation with rising cases among kids play out who, you know, might be kind of freaked out, especially if, say, you're a parent who's vaccinated, um, might be seeing people, might be potentially coming into contact with people who who could, you know, be infected with the virus. Like, what can parents do to protect their kids. I know you're not a medical expert, but you're, you're talking to experts. You're much more of an expert on this than I am. I mean, like, should people be concerned that they they might be spreading to their kids? How do how do parents navigate this? I'm uh, so I'm not a medical expert. Obviously, I am a parent um, and I am vaccinated, as is my wife. Um, but our child is not eligible. Um, and so, yeah, I can very much relate to freaking out. Um, th- the most important thing probably is what where you are in the country. Um, your your risk or your child's risk of contracting COVID is obviously very different right now in Massachusetts than it is in Louisiana or, or Florida. Um, so that's, you know, I, I guess the first step would be know your surroundings. Um, and if COVID is prevalent, I mean, really prevalent in your community, um, you know, I, 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 can, I can only tell you what I, I would be wary of letting my child indoors around people who are, who I don't know their vaccination status. We still have pretty good sense that if everybody in the immediate vicinity is vaccinated, then it's relatively safe. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I can only speak to myself. I, again, I'm not a medical expert, but I, I am wary of letting my child who isn't eligible for the vaccine um, indoors, especially if the COVID rate rises in my community. One last question before I let you go, since you mentioned ineligibility for the vaccine. Do we know when vaccines might open up to kids under 12? We don't know for certain. Um, experts believe that it will be, uh, be available for ages 5 to 11 by the end of the year. Again, that's that's sort of a loose prediction, not, not set mm-hmm. in stone. And it does depend on what the trials show. Um, I know that the uh, American Academy of Pediatrics uh, is actually pleading for faster authorization. Recently hmm. sent a letter to the FDA, I believe it was last week, um, you know, saying that this is urgent um, and that cases are uh, booming among children right now and so that there is some uh, sense of urgency from from the nation's pediatricians to sort of move up the timeline. All right, that's the show for this week. I'm Jeremy Siegel, and big thanks to Dan Goldberg from Politico's health team for joining me. If you want to read more of his reporting on this, check out his story with Politico's Alice Miranda Olstein in this episode's show notes. Pulse Check's senior editor is Raghu Manavalan. Our senior producer is Jenny Ament, and our executive producer is Irene Naguchi. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you soon.